0: Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Movers, Shakers, and History Makers, a show dedicated to all things interesting happening in your neck of the woods, especially if your neck of the woods consists of living in Coweta County. It's a place for showcasing stories and newsmakers from the past and present, and I'm your host, Clay Neely. In the latest issue of and Coweta Magazine, we're focusing on the work of local artists, and one of those is Game Master Sculptor Brian Collin, whose business, Creature Curation, was formed to showcase the fantastical world of Revillo. A member of the Noonan Coweta Art Association, Brian says role-playing in general is a great way for people to learn to use their imagination, think on their feet, and interact with a diverse group of people who don't always have the same ideas. In our interview, we talk about the origin of Brian's love for role-playing and design and what he's looking to accomplish in 2021. Along with several other local artists, Brian will be appearing at the upcoming Spring Art Walk taking place in downtown Noonan on Friday, March 26th in front of the Noonan Times-Herald. So even if you're like me and might not know much about the world of role-playing, you will definitely enjoy the story behind Brian's passion and will appreciate seeing it in person. So here it is. It's our interview with Brian Collin on mover Shakers, and History Makers. Well, what what did the pandemic yep. do for y'all last year? I mean, did you see any sort of... I'm, I know it affected everybody in different ways, but I mean, what exactly did it mean for you?
1: For me, it, actually, it, it it there were a lot of benefits for me, only because... Normally, I travel three or four times a year to go to conventions, mm-hmm. which usually a convention takes a week of time traveling to, working the show, and traveling back, but then it also takes a week of prep time before the show to get everything together, um, so I had a lot of extra time. Uh, I also managed to get one of the SBA loans, which managed to help me create a bunch of start a bunch of different new product lines that I wouldn't have done otherwise. Okay. One, I wouldn't have had the time and I wouldn't have had the resources too. So I started a stuffed animal line based on RPG monsters. Um, I've got a dice line that I'm going to launch on Kickstarter at the end of the month. I did a series. of. uh, I was just able to create a lot of things that's going to set me up for, I think for a couple of years as I continue to expand all the weird stuff that I make.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think that was true for a lot of people in terms of last year. I think it gave us, uh, I wouldn't say the courage, but it gave us the ability to do some things that we might not have done before. I mean, it was uh, an opportunity Mm -hmm. to try some new stuff, and it sounded like it kind of worked out for you. Um, had, Had you done any sort of that sort of line before in terms of actually making plush things? or?
1: I had not done plush. Um, I had already—I've—I've I've already been doing manufacturing by doing like enamel pins. Mm-hmm. I'd—I uh, I'd self-published uh, a couple of books for my RPG setting to be used with Dungeons and Dragons. So I'd—I'd I'd built relationships with manufacturers, and I know that process. But plush was something new. But I—I'd been doing print and web design since '97. Yeah, I'd been self-employed for like since uh, 2009. Wow. And so when I recently uh, got hired by one of my friends at the beginning of this year, which is great. And it's all in the same industry. It's all in the, the gaming world. So now all I'm working on is nerdy stuff all the time. Um, but I'm still doing my creature curation stuff. And so I was familiar with, like, illustrating, like, turns of a character, like, doing a front, side, back. So when it came to designing plush, yeah, it was pretty much the same thing.
0: Okay. Well, I guess to backtrack a little bit here uh, for the purpose of the of the podcast, I mean, mm-hmm. f- all I've really known is from what I read in uh, the magazine article, and the, f- the thing that kind of got me at first was I really liked the story about how Dungeons & Dragons found you. Can you talk a little bit about, about that and kind of <laughs> your evolution into role-playing games? Because I kind of sure. see myself <laughs> at the same point doing the <laughs> same thing. Awesome. Yeah, so, uh,
1: you know, When when you're a kid, I was hanging out with my friends, and I lived. I grew up in Maryland, and I lived in townhouses. So, like, all the houses were right next to each other. You could run ten minutes and get to a friend's house. And two of my friends, uh, they were twins. uh, They knew that my parents had a matchbook collection. I don't know. Like, I guess people. uh, I've never had a matchbook collection, but my parents did at the time. And I was I was in fourth grade, and they were like, "Hey, grab some of those matches and bring them over." It was summer. There was nothing to do, so we were out back their house had like a little like square concrete like step like after you get down out of the house th- that opened up into their backyard and we were just lighting matches on fire and just setting them on the ground and getting like pieces of grass and lighting the grass on fire on the on the concrete and uh their their older sister was was significantly older than us and she saw what we were doing and she just came out hit us all in the back of the head took the matches and then she went inside and we we're like, OK, we she's going to tell, tell their parents or something like that. And a few minutes later, she came out with the, uh, the basic Dungeons and Dragons box set, which at the time was like a red box that had this amazing illustrated red dragon by uh, Larry Elmore on it with like the, this uh, warrior with his back. You could see his back and he was he was about to attack the dragon. Um, we opened that up and we dove in and. It didn't like after playing after reading through the book once and seeing these weird shaped dice, um, I convinced my dad to go to the the local toy store and pick up a copy for myself. And we just started
0: making adventures and playing make believe.
1: Wow! In fourth grade and just kept going.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, it it seems like it was a pretty instant fit. I mean, with you and your friends, there wasn't much of a curve. It you you just dug right into it and it just clicked, made sense, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't get the
1: rules quite right, right away. Like, there's things called hit points and hit dice, and hit points are how many health points you have, and uh, hit die is how many dice it would be. And I'd read hit dice as hit points, so I'd have, like, really, really uh, early characters facing off against dragons and slaying them, and that (laughs) never would have happened. But, you know, we were in fourth grade, so it was
0: okay. Yeah. Well, uh, so what was your evolution from there? I mean, did you keep into that... As you went into high school, did your taste kind of change? I mean, what what kept – what was linear about that? Sure. Well, I mean, one of the things about
1: it is that I think it helped build my confidence, my creativity, my problem-solving, like everything, because it was all – it was improv. It was like making right. stuff up as you go. So I, I continued playing that game dungeons and dragons but then like other role-playing games would come out and i loved the teenage mutant ninja turtles role-playing game because you could play like different weird things that you wouldn't normally be able to play like uh weird like ferret people and stuff like that yeah and then uh as that evolved i started playing other rpgs um i i played a lot of uh fate when i was probably in my 30s um late thirties because that was a much lighter rules light system and is a lot more character driven and story driven. And I felt like uh, I could play lots of different settings. I I would oftentimes adapt my favorite comic book settings Mm -hmm. to games for like one or two shots, just to like bring my friends into the, into the stuff that we were reading. And from there, I've always had a love of comics and storytelling. So I self-published my first comic books in 1999. Wow. Then again in 2004. So I've always really liked the aspect of building worlds and setting the stage and stories. So when I eventually evolved and started like started doing sculpture, I knew that the the sculptures that I made, they would need a, a world and a setting for the weird creatures that I was creating. Well, and that's how I started building out the world Revelo. Um, and from that, eventually, as I built enough sculptures and created enough creatures, that's how I then have turned that into a role-playing game setting and bestiary and a place where other people can tell their own stories in my world.
0: Okay. Were you doing the illustrations in your comic books, too? I
1: was at the time. I was doing, in the very early ones in 99, I was doing like a, uh, a crime noir series it was like a three issue series where I'd take photo reverence of everything and then trace over all of it in a very black and white style wow. um, and then in the sci-fi Western I did in 2004 I, I painted all of that in watercolor oh my God. and and you know b- back then the uh, you go to a comic book convention in 2004 90 95 percent of it is all superhero stuff yeah. so the, the the interest in a watercolor sci-fi western <laughs> book is not very high.
0: Not, not yet. Hadn't, hadn't reached its audience yet. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, So, and I guess with all this, with your background, creating your own game wasn't just a Herculean task. It, it was, seems like a natural progression. I mean, that's all just seems yeah. like a building block sort of thing. Um, what was the, the thing that really just kind of inspired you to just go in creating your own game? Was it something you'd thought about doing for a while, or was it like an aha moment? Um, I, I, It really was.
1: Like, so I had... I was at uh, one of the biggest game convention. Well, the biggest game convention in the U S which is Gen Con. Um, and that's in Indianapolis. And I, I was in the artist alley. I had some of my sculptures. All there's all these role-playing games, board games, so much stuff to see. I was like, why haven't I created, why haven't I built this world out for D and D or for a role-playing game? And so originally I was going to build it out for a simpler rule set for, for fate, mm-hmm. but my son at the time, he's now 11. Um, I kept trying to give him these, these simpler, like simpler books. And he just wanted to pour over the dungeons and dragons books, like the charts, the stats, like seeing all the, the minutia of monsters and characters he really like, he, he could pour over a monster manual for like two or three hours and just sit there and just absorbing all the information. Wow. Um, so that's when I decided to make the, the Revelo stuff for Dungeons and Dragons. Because if I'm if I'm building it for anybody other than myself, I should be building it for my kids.
0: Yeah. Well, I thought that was pretty interesting, too. Because, I mean, it sounds like your family plays a major role um, in the entire world. I mean, can you talk about, like, their involvement?
1: Sure. So, um, well, one, uh, Revelo itself is my son's middle name, Oliver, backwards. Yeah. So I... My wife was pregnant with him at the time when we when I first decided that I was going to create this because I did my first sculpture and it was weird. It had two different heads in one body. So there was like this whole thing of we had also been watching like TV shows with like about like parasites and things like that. So I thought about like being pregnant and having another thing living inside of you and duality and uh, things like that. Um, So I wanted to create something that that he could build into as well. And then my daughter is now seven, and she's super creative and draws things and makes stories all the time. But the, uh, the idea was that once he started getting a little older, I drew my first version of, of the map. And I was like, what would you like in here? And he's like, volcanoes. And so we drew in volcanoes. And then like he added to that, and then he helped come up with the first species that was going to live in there. I was like, well, what would you like in here? And he's like, a lizard man. And so then we created this species that's called a Bernadazzi, And then a year or two later, I was at a convention in Ohio that always, uh, pre-pandemic, always happened to land. The last day was on Father's Day. Mm -hmm. So he drew a fire turtle for me for my Father's Day gift. And so then I then sculpted that and turned that into one of the species that's that's in, in the monster book.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, well, so, I mean, you've probably been drawing since you were a kid, right?
1: yes and like that's what i i went to art school for thinking that i would be a comic book illustrator okay. and then i realized my illustration skills are just not that good so what was which the transition? which is okay what was the transition into sculpture <laughs> then i mean how did that how did that go so well so i went to school for graphic design then after i realized that i wasn't going to be a strong enough illustrator <laughs> so then when i when i did the comic in 2004 that was before digital printing. So you had to print everything traditional offset. So minimums of print runs were at least like a thousand copies of anything. Yeah. So I printed four issues of my six issue series and sunk like 12 grand into that and would only sell like a hundred copies of each issue. So after that, I was like, okay, I need something a little more immediate. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, something that wasn't as, as, as I didn't have to put as much money or time into. So I started painting single canvases and then I saw um, at the time, it was like maybe 2007, maybe um, there this uh, there were all these blank vinyl toys. Um, Kid Robot was putting out a bunch of toys and in the kind of uh, graffiti design, uh, hip hop community, like all these different communities were taking these toys and painting on them and making them their own. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that, but I started sculpting on top of because oh, wow. uh, so I was taking these cute little toys and making them weird and creepy, and uh, and then one of the guys that was uh, professional in the industry that was well known and he was in a lot of gallery shows, he suggested this because I was using Sculpey at the time. He suggested this medium, which was an epoxy that was a two part that I could only at the, at that time only get from a taxidermy shop. So I, I ordered from a taxidermy shop online. And they sent me that. And then like a few months later, they mailed me like their big telephone book thick catalog with like weird styrofoam heads and glass eyes. And so I flipped through and I was like, well, maybe my creatures would look more realistic with these eyes. So I started ordering eyes. And then as my little funny sculptures started to look more and more realistic, I was like, if I'm going to make them like this, they should be life-size. Like to me, life size in the weird worlds that I'm creating. Yeah. So I I ordered one of the styrofoam deer heads that people would normally like put the the skin of the deer over, mm-hmm. and I sculpted on top of that, and that's where from that point on everything was was big and like like monster monster taxidermy style.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think I saw a picture or video with you doing that because I'm like uh, you can see that it looks like the deer. But I'm like, yep. I wonder if he's mm-hmm. you know, getting assistance from like you know, the, the tools of like taxidermy, things like that to create the yep. base. Uh, that's that's fascinating. And so you just kind of yeah. just go off from that. Yeah, that's
1: and and now I use like styrofoam blocks yeah. and I cut it down and then add to it. But that I think especially when just starting to do sculpture, mm-hmm. having some sort of pre existing foundation yeah. makes it so much easier to to start from something. Yeah. One, you have a little bit of anatomy to it or you have some foundation and you can keep building on top of it. Um, and it helps you learn along the way because all of my sculpting was self-taught.
0: Wow. I mean, it, so it's just trial and error. And and, yeah. and when did you start with the sculpting, by the way? I'm sorry. Oh, uh,
1: So I started making toy, like customizing toys in around 2007. Okay. And then 2009 was my first like big sculpture. And then partway through there, I took, about two and a half years off because I had started up a smaller design like print and web design company I'd gotten up to like 13 people and I was commuting a lot and I just didn't have time for it and then I realized that that was not where I was meant to be yeah um and so then I started doing shows more regularly after that, and I started building up. That's when I started traveling away from just like Dragon Con in Atlanta to actually going out of state to going to shows. And yeah. as, the more I did that, that's when I started to really see, have a bigger vision of, of what I was trying to achieve.
0: Okay. So that, that obviously helped with a lot of networking to help build up to kind of oh, where you are now. Well, yep. where, what were some of the challenges you faced early on in that? Since when you decided to kind of go that route? I mean, I know you've learned a lot along the way. Uh, sure. What were some of those initial humps? Well, a lot of that was trying to find,
1: like, try and find my place. Yeah. Because I was doing these weird big like sculptures, and I had gotten like a, into a couple of like, because do I, Did I live in the in the art gallery scene? Or did I, it was hard to find the right place cause it doesn't really fit with that. And like the, the type of people that want weird monsters hanging on their walls, it's, it's a very unique audience. Yeah. Um, and so like, cause I, I had gotten into a gallery and a group show down in Miami uh, during Art Basel, which is, I got to go to twice and it was amazing and just mind blowing seeing all the art there. But then I also got to have a solo show at this gallery and most of the stuff that they did was like lowbrow pop surrealism type work. And my stuff doesn't really fit with that because it's more fantasy than, than like any sort of surrealism there. It's, so it doesn't have that popular culture to it either. So trying to find my place, that was the biggest hurdle. But then once I started doing more conventions, those are my people. I mean, Mm. that's, that's who I am. And so, you know, it, it was the right fit going to those and trying to hit the right conventions as well.
0: Yeah did you get a lot of feedback about what you were doing? Uh, did, and I mean, or did you just kind of figure out your vision and just kind of go? I, I just pretty much
1: went, I mean, my wife will tell me when I'm just trying to get something done to get it. Like you rushed through that. You've got, you, you're not done with this. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'll listen and sometimes I'll be like, no, I just need to be done with that and keep going. That's true. Um, but, uh, but, most of especially at conventions there's a couple of shows where i'd got get good feedback from some some established sculptors mm-hmm. who would be like oh if you did this and did this it would yeah. bring it up to the next level which mm-hmm. which was awesome that that community is very it's very great like everybody in the art community especially at those shows is usually really good at helping each other out sharing what works for them what doesn't even talking numbers and money and how like how much this brought in what what sells and what doesn't yeah because everybody wants wants each other to succeed so
0: so that's great I mean you don't have to fight with any kind of like proprietary everyone's just kind of in the same boat and yeah. willing to share information I think that's that's really big um well what are some of the things that have kind of ex- inspired your creations I mean does it come from like music books movies people I mean what what kind of inspires you.
1: You know, I think everything, I think you take a little bit from everything that you do and you see. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. You can't, you can't not absorb things, uh, you know? Um, so I mean, growing up playing D playing, building Lego, reading comic books, that is all like the main foundation of everything. Then, you know, watching fantasy movies and TV shows and sci-fi stuff, um, is, has all contributed to it. And just when I, usually when creating a, like, like creating new creatures, I usually just start by doodling circles and just seeing where it goes and, and seeing the weird stuff that ends up coming out from it.
0: When do you have time to kind of sit down and do that sort of thing? I know with a family being creative can you you have a very finite window sometimes. When do you find peace wake to do up stuff at- like that? Yeah.
1: I wake up at 5:30 every morning. There you go. Um, that's when I set my alarm. I get up, I start working. Uh, usually, uh, wake the kids up around 7:40. Um, luckily like now with the, the, the company I work for now, it's, I'm getting to do a little bit of my stuff as well. Cause we're working on a new role playing game that I've, uh, created myself and my friend Ross have created the setting for. Mm. So I'm also getting to do some sculpting as part of that. Cause that's going to go into the, into the book. Um, so I'm able to do that, and then I also work on some stuff in the evening and just make time for it because because uh, there's got to be time.
0: Yeah, I mean you've got to make that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I realized a long time ago that um, that if I don't make time, it's just not good for my mental well being. So no, these no. are the things that I'm supposed to do.
0: Yeah, I mean I I mean it's it's been less than a year since I had discovered the trick of waking up at five five thirty mm-hmm. to get and you know it was a little tough at first, but I mean it sure it's it's damn worth it. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you can
1: get things done before anybody else is awake or like emails are coming in or yeah. phone calls are coming in, you. Yeah,
0: man. Well, going back to Ravilla, what, what what was the inspiration behind that? Because I know you'd mentioned how your worlds are a little different than the traditional D&D. Can you expand mm-hmm. on that a little bit about, you know, just what makes it so unique?
1: Sure. Well, when I first created the world, I didn't want there to be any of the traditional humans, dwarves, elves. I wanted everything to look completely new and unique and different so that anybody that came to it would look, it could be like, oh, this one looks cool and not, not necessarily automatically have like, oh, this one looks like me. Because if, if, if one looks like someone, someone, then somebody else that doesn't look like that doesn't have anything to associate with. Right. Um, I, and uh, like, I, honestly, I learned that a, a hard way in, it was when I did my, my sci-fi Western in two, 2004. I had taken photographs of friends and relatives. I'd had of them dress up in like Western wear and I'd take photos and then I'd draw that and then paint it. And I had that at a convention and somebody was flipping through and they were like, you said this is like a, a, a sci-fi Western, like post-apocalyptic thing. And she was like, why is everybody in here white? And, like, it was just oh, something that yeah. just had not crossed my mind at the time. So that totally influenced, like, okay, I don't want there to just be a bunch of, uh, you know, white white guys in this setting. I want it to all be something that nobody relates to, so everybody relates to
0: it. Yeah. Wow. Yo, well, that, that, that's a huge part. Um, so, wow. So... What are what are some of the, the biggest goals that you have? Uh, I mean, in terms of this going forward, I mean, I know the year was a little bit different, and you're able to expand and mm-hmm. do some cool stuff. I mean, what what are you looking to do immediately now?
1: Um, so, uh, immediately, the, this new uh, this new RPG product that I'm working on for Infinite Black is hopefully going to launch in the summer. Yeah. So that that's a big one um, because that's a whole new setting, a whole new completely different this is much darker uh like sci-fi horror type thing so so that'll be fun but for for revelo i'm just trying to keep i'm continually putting out content each month through our patreon and mm-hmm. little bits and pieces to try and keep building the audience because we have a core group of fans that are like really excited and then add bits and pieces into their games yeah and then once conventions start back up introducing it to people that didn't originally back it on Kickstarter. And just continuing to grow the, the audience because we have to get in front of people for people to be able to, to know it's there to play. And conventions are really the main place to do that.
0: What do you see about uh, conventions this year? What's what's the word so far?
1: So in at the end of August is supposed to be Gen Con in Indianapolis, but they're still on the fence right now. Um, the other big gaming convention that was n- normally would have been in July, July has been pushed to the end of September. Um, beginning of October. And I'm pretty sure that one's definitely going to happen. I don't know how it will change, how how it will be changed um, with procedures and and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people, I think, I think it'll definitely be challenging, but I think people are going to be really excited to actually start going to those events again. Oh, I'm sure. I'm just going to do my best to try and, uh, uh, (laughs) Be as safe as possible, and 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 uh, and, try and uh, you know, be as proactive as I can about about mask usage, and and still try to figure out how to make sure people know that I'm smiling when they're talking to me. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> well, um, I think we both share a mutual acquaintance, Jason Wilson. Um, oh yeah. He he said that uh, his his uh, boys are kind of working with you on a possible score right now. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah.
1: Yeah, the uh, that upcoming uh, RPG project. It's it has some very punk rock undertones because yeah. uh, I grew up uh, listening to a lot of punk rock, and so I wanted um, I wanted his boys uh, to to do like the little thirty second track that will be part of the Kickstarter video.
0: Oh, very cool. Well, they'll be great at that. Yeah. I mean, they're they're fantastic. Um, yeah, they are. <laughs> well, um, well, man, I, I appreciate your time on this. Now you're gonna what are you gonna have uh, in Newton for the art walk? What are you what is gonna your plan
1: on that? So I'm gonna have a little bit of everything. So I'll have probably four or five sculptures that will hang behind me on some some paneled walls. I'm also gonna have a lot of like the RPG books, I'll have some pins, I'll have some plushies, I'll have pretty much a little bit of everything that I create. So Um, I know it's an art walk so there will be the sculptural stuff Mm -hmm. but then some of the products I make that you know if somebody wants something a little bit uh, less expensive that could be a gift for somebody or a gift for themselves um, they'd be able to walk away with that as well
0: Well, very cool very cool man well uh, man Brian I appreciate you spending some time with me um, and look forward to hanging out with you at the art walk here coming up and uh, if people want to get a better look at kind of what you're doing what's the best place to send them
1: They should go to CreatureCuration.com. That's Creature, C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com. Awesome. Well, man, I appreciate it. Thank you again, Brian. Thank you. It's been good talking. (laughs) All right, see ya.